Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. No, my haere mai, kia ora, and welcome to our Books and Beyond Literary Lounge Lockdown Edition with Alison and Inika. Kia ora, Inika. Kia ora, Alison. Well, look, I'm as well as laughing at myself because I couldn't get my stopwatch to start. Um, is that what they call stopwatches? I don't even know. It's a phone anyway. Um, like so, everything. Yes. Aside from that, I've realised that I've started to feel quite Pavlovian, you know, when we do our lockdown recordings, because I'm salivating at the moment. I'm imagining us that we're sitting there having a delicious coffee and a cardamom bun together as we prepare to record. Oh, well, all that talk of pavlovas and, and cardamom buns, Alison, you're making me hungry. Well, you know, maybe there could be a socially distanced outdoors mask wearing coffee and bun eating session in the offing soon, right? I mean, we are in that stage. We just have to work it out. Although yes. I have to say I looked at the weather forecast and the 10-day report is just vile for outdoor picnics. <laughs> it's not looking good, is it? And with a long weekend um, as well. I know, it's not so much fun. No, well, at least we'll have something to look forward to in the next week or two, eh? We'll see how it goes. That's right. And the other, at least, hashtag at least, um, I sort of think that being Pavlov's dog is, at least it's a lot better than being Frodinger's cat in any day. (laughs) So it's all good. We can't complain. Mm. (laughs) Now, um, normally when we talk about books in our literary lounge, chats that we have they they're usually pretty contemporary works so for something different we were thinking that today we'd jump back 120 years Yes, we did. So this, um, in the last week or so, um, Alison and I have both read um, When Patty Went to College by Jean Webster. And this was written in 1903. So, yep, a good 120, almost 120 years ago. Now, this one is available in our always available classics collection in Overdrive. So that means you can go in and borrow this and so many more titles without any weights at all. Now, I'll tell you a bit about Patty. So she's a boarder in an all-girls college in the American Northeast at the turn of the 20th century. Now, she's a fun-loving, quick-witted young woman. She loves pranking people and seeing where it ends up. Um, So, you know, from anything from making up false rumours about the faculty and seeing just how far they're going to spread as the, you know, gosh darn it, honest truth, um, to complete correctly predicting that her friend's ball dates will all fall through at the last minute and predicting exactly the lame excuses that all those young men are going to send through to um, to make up for them not showing up. Now, Patty is just a lovable rogue. She's a bad influence at school in the best way possible. I mean, she's basically a good egg with a good heart. So when her conscience pricks her sharply enough and um, the consequences become a bit dire, she's very quick to try and fix those mistakes. And um, she's got a lovely turn of phrase and apology, apologises with real honesty and charm that disarms. How do you like that, Alison? Yeah. Oh, look, that's a wonderful um, explanation. Um, I think there was always a girl like that in in our classes at school, weren't there? 
I mean, and we were at school at different times, but there would have been one. Um, and sort of a bit like the SpongeBob SquarePants, I guess, of any class, <laughs> I, I would say. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, we love them and we um, we are exasperated by them in equal measure, I think. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I went um had a little Wikipedia deep dive into Jean Webster and um, I found out that she lived in an early childhood in a strongly matriarchal and activist setting. Her great-grandmother, grandmother and mother all lived under the same roof and her great-grandmother worked on temperance issues, which of course was, you know, pretty common for early mm. um, early uh, leading into suffrage and her grandmother was uh, on campaigns for racial equality and women's suffrage as well. And that all makes total sense when you um, read Jean Webster's books. You know, she's, she is socially contested. Um, conscious um, for her time. Um, she also went to um, the famous All Women's College um, Vassar in upstate New York at the same time as this um, book is set. So, you know, it clearly made a big impression on her. Um, yeah. Now, this is Jean Webster's first novel. It's one that I didn't even know about. Um, I'm actually a really big fan of her later and more well-known novels, Daddy Long Legs and Dear Enemy. And they're both, both of those books are set in the same orphanage um, and they're both written as um, epistolary novels, fun word. Um, yes, so, well, you, um, I often um, really struggle to pronounce that, so well done you. <laughs> Thank you. I used the audio guide on my dictionary. It was oh. really useful. Um, I love those types of books where you, you're reading a series of letters. There's so many wonderful ones. Yeah. Um, now, I found it, like I said, when I was browsing that um, always available classics collection. Um, and yeah, I was so happy to find something else from Jean Webster that I didn't know about. Um, now, my favourite one from her is Daddy Longlegs. And I think you read that this week too, Alison. Yes. And I loved it too. It's super fun. It's super fun. Yeah. Super fun, funny. Yeah, all, all of um, Jean Webster's books um, have these really lively, likeable young um, young heroines. Um, they're all over 100 years old, but there's just this great snappy dialogue, heaps of humour and this sort of gentle social commentary. So that makes them still really enjoyable to read um, in contemporary times. Um, you know, in Daddy Longlegs, you've got the old enemies to lovers trope a bit. And you've got some minor league sugar daddying, which, you know, could be a little bit problematic by today's standards. But I don't know, being wooed by a charming, mysterious, generous benefactor, I mean, not exactly an unattractive proposition. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. Um, and I know that um, the sort of sugar daddy, it's, uh, that, that element's a bit of a concern, but I sort of felt that Mr. Danny Longlegs, he's more benevolent than sinister. I, well, that's how I read it. So I'm, I hope I'm right. Yeah, well, that's how I got it too. I mean, you know, I'm an endless romantic, so I'm, you know, possibly sometimes I put my blinkers on for these things. But he was seemed to be quite the dish by the end of the book. Um, yeah, yes. And Patty was just about as engaging as Judy from Daddy Longlegs, I thought. Um, but I did want to see how she continued to develop, and we didn't really get that in the book. Um, it was all set in the college, and it was pretty short read, kind of like a series of interconnected sketches, really. So you didn't really get that character development that you get in Daddy Longlegs. But um, yeah, for this one, I would say if you've ever enjoyed series like uh, What Katie Did by Susan Coolidge, which was written in 1872, and the Alan Montgomery Anne of Green Gables series, or if you're just into that kind of boarding school setting, scrapes are plenty, plucky young students and the odd historical hottie, then um, <laughs> I think, you know, Jen Wester is going to be a bit of you. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Would you say she has got sort of elements of like later, later um, Louisa May Alcott, you know? Yes, I I would agree with that. Um, yeah, um, the the feminism, the the bit, bit more freedom, um, yeah. and that emerging consciousness about um, injustice. Yes. Uh, that her, her characters see, yeah. I mean, it was published 30 years later, and so that figures, um, you know, the moral chocks are let off a bit more in this book. I love that phrase that you've come up with, because I was thinking that could be a really good T-shirt slogan. I'm going to get this printed for you. Um, <laughs> my moral chocks have been taken away. <laughs> okay, I'll look forward to receiving that on my courier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and because, um, yeah, when we're trying to um, put them, all of these novels into to context, I've been trying to place um, when Patty went to college in, in that whole sort of boarding school subgenre. And um, firstly, I'm sort of thinking about the chalet, the chalet school series mm. by um, Eleanor Brent Wire. Um, but that, that was probably more wholesome and mm. and then of course Picnic at Hanging Rock um, by Joan Lindsay 1967 <laughs> that was way way scarier yeah yeah for sure and then the St Trinian's books and films um, which were earlier than um, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock they were they were probably too anarchic I would say oh yes um, those British girls Yes, yeah. Um, and then, of course, Dairy Girls a bit later, um, full True. on. Yeah. We could have fun mind mapping boarding school novels, I reckon. Oh, we definitely could. Don't tempt me because lockdown is just dragging, <laughs> I tell you what. Yeah, I had a little Google around some of my very favourites in that kind of genre and I found this little piece which, which really tied them together nicely and it made sense to me as to why there's still lots of appeal in these books, even for contemporary um, contemporary readers. Um, yeah, so college girls' stories, um, uh, novels published around the early 1900s, uh, variants on the boarding school theme. These stories are set in fictionalised versions of women's college and they're credited as playing a part in normalising the idea of higher education for women. Um, young women in these novels are usually toying with ideas of marriage and career. Yeah, sounds familiar still, really. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, brings to mind um, Mary Tyler Moore, the sort of things she, she grappled with, a working girl. Um, yeah, Felicity, but you know the struggle. The struggle's real, isn't it? And, totally, and it's ongoing. And for and for women to to find that balance of um, being everything you want to be and working and yeah, doing all the things that you want to do and and need to do and procreating as well. It's yeah, it's a struggle. And we want to have some fun along the way, as Cindy oh, says, right? True, that's right. Yeah. I forgot about fun. <laughs> yes, and you want to read your characters, right? <clears throat> yes, and you want to read a few books too. Yes. Well, look, moving into the twenty-first century, but staying on the the sort of 
boarding school theme. Um, you and I have both read uh, the book Prep by uh, Curtis Sittenfeld. Now, this was actually published in 2005. Um, I'm surprised that it's um, so old, you know, old in inverted commas. Um, and it's available in hard copy in our adult fiction, but it's also on Overdrive and Libby. So you can get hold of it during lockdown as well. Now, this was, um, Prep was Curtis Sittenfeld's debut novel, um, and it quickly climbed up the New York Times bestseller list, and um, it was actually long-listed for the Orange Prize mm. in 2006 as well. It's um, it's a very insightful and cringingly, achingly funny um, coming-of-age story, um, as well as um, it's a real quite a brilliant dissection of class, race and gender um, in a sort of hothouse of adolescent angst and ambition, which is a, a prestigious boarding school in New England, uh, Massachusetts, of mm. course. Um, now, our main character, Lee, is um, she's an intelligent, observant 14-year-old um, and she's goes to this um, prep school in New England, um, she goes on scholarship. So mm. she um, comes from small town Indiana. And um, so when her father drops her off at, at school outside this amazing sort of um, these buildings, you know, in the sort of lush fields and all this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. She's, Lee is um, immediately embarrassed by her father's car, his clothing, his his mannerisms. So she's, even though she's from a good-hearted family in small town Indiana, she's from a, a world away from this picturesque, wealthy boarding school. Um, and it's you know, set the scene, you've got boys in sort of chunky, stylish woolen sweaters um, lounging around in front of old, glorious old brick buildings and <laughs> girls in, in kilts playing lacrosse on pristinely mown athletic fields and and everyone goes to, to chapel, um, which is actually, chapel is actually a, a cathedral. Um, <laughs> you know, that understated way that rich folk have, have of describing all of their stuff, you know, oh, this old thing, you know, this old <laughs> building, this little old chapel sort of thing. <laughs> But um, this uh, prep school, um, which is called Alt, um, it's a cloistered world of sort of jaded, attractive teenagers who spend their summers uh, at places like Martha's Vineyard and and they speak in their own clever rich person's shorthand. Um, And poor old Lee, she's intimidated by her peers, um, but she's also fascinated by them. And um, she's a real observer. Um, But after, she's there at the school for four years and she eventually becomes quite a participant in all of these sort of rich person's rituals. Mm. Um, uh, Being um, a scholarship student, she's acutely aware of her difference and that's a difference of of class um, with the with the kids that are non-scholarship students Mm. and um, they have um, other of the the students on scholarships are um, students of colour and so there's immigrant students and African-American students and they're all quite othered um, in a very 
sad and kind of there's a, a cruelty in the system, I, mm-hmm. I guess, and she's acutely aware of that. Um, so what I loved about um, this this book is um, it it is a it's a universal story in many ways. Just those sort of painful, painfully intense times that she has as an adolescent and this trying to fit in, trying to learn all the codes of everyone around you, Um, you know, and then what happens when you you actually uh, betray uh, your friends, um, perhaps for the for the wrong reasons and you know and then the guilt that you have afterwards yeah you you've sort of said that you enjoyed it I did I read it a really long time ago but it's still stuck stuck with me it's it's really um it's really biting isn't it and yes you know there's, there's that real um she's got this real pull towards she's both pulling towards this kind of um, lifestyle and rejecting it at the same time so she's this yes. real tension all the way through the book isn't there Yes, yeah. Oh, it's it's very good, and um, I really felt it was quite pitch perfect the way she captures that adolescent experience, and and I know a lot of the reviewers have felt that too. Yeah. So um, yeah. Oh, she's a good good writer. So that's highly recommended. Yeah, you've been on a bit of a coming of age trip, haven't you, Alison? Yeah. I have been actually, and even my next book that I, I want to briefly talk about now, certainly moving, um, moving over to the UK and to much more modest surroundings. But this is a, a fabulous um, autobiographical journey, uh, coming of age journey, and it's called Red Dust Road by the wonderful author and poet Jackie Kay. And now this was first published in 2011, and it's available in our non-fiction section in the libraries. And, um, oh, that's right. I was going to say, yes, I did want to say that at this stage, it, we don't have it on overdrive. So I'm very sad about that. Mm-hmm. So it is one, um, got plenty of coffee copies of it, but people would have to wait until the libraries were open. But it's uh, to get hold of it. But certainly do put a hold up, put a request on it. So um, now Jackie Kay is the highly regarded and award-winning Scottish poet, playwright and novelist. Um, And up until this year, she was actually the Poet Laureate in Scotland. Mm. And she's currently a professor of uh, creative writing at Newcastle University in the north of England. So Red Dust Road is a chronicle of her search for her birth parents. She was born in the early 1960s as a result of a, a very brief relationship between her birth father, who was a Nigerian university student, and her birth mother, who was a young Scottish nurse. And um, both her her parents, her birth parents, were living in Aberdeen at the time. Um, And Jackie was, and this is a quote, um, given up for adoption as a baby. And this was the accepted terminology at the time. So she was adopted by a wonderful white Scottish couple who were committed Communist Party members. And she had a really happy upbringing, surrounded by love, laughter and good conversation and great coffee, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the case 
they weren't particularly well off, but her life was really rich with experiences and love and, you know, it was a really good upbringing. Um, But, of course, life outside the warm and loving family unit wasn't always happy and safe for for Jackie. Growing up in in the 60s and 70s as one of only two biracial kids at her school certainly wasn't easy. And there was a lot of really blatant racism, but even more microaggression from her her peers and her teachers, sadly. And but she writes about all these experiences in a way that it's not bitter, it's um quite matter of fact, um, about many of these experiences that were terribly painful and and really formative as well. Mm. And it was only when Jackie was pregnant with her own child in the early 1990s that she decided to trace her, her birth parents. And it wasn't at all out of a sense of unhappiness. It was more because the doctors and healthcare providers were asking her if she had any illnesses or anything genetic that she knew was running through her, her immediate family. And um, so finding and meeting both her birth parents was relatively easy uh, process for her, mm-hmm. which was fortunate. Um, but it was what came after they were found that proved to be quite a challenge. Um, she travelled to Nigeria to meet her father, who was a well-known botanist, and she found him to be a full-on born-again Christian whose behaviour actually bordered on the bazaar. Mm-hmm. Um, he spent their entire time together trying to get Jackie to repent her sins Um, and she was able to show us that her father's words and actions were deeply hypocritical Um, and yet she doesn't do any of this in anger she she does it with a, a sadness while sort of showing us a deeply comical side to his behaviour and and her experience of it as well. And um, also her her birth mother had become deeply religious as well since making the adoption plan for Jackie in the 1960s. And her mother's very fragile. Um, But um, uh, Jackie feels mainly sadness and pity for her mother. Mm. Um, Now, it's this read, it's not depressing in any shape or form. It's um, Jackie Kay is such a good writer that this very painful story is, is painted with a very light touch. Um, it's heartfelt and poetic um, and it's in the way it explores, you know, all those concepts of belonging, home, otherness, humour, mm. family, love her gayness, everything, everything about it. It's, I just loved it. And it's, um, it's a quick read. It's a good read. And I'd really recommend it. Sounds excellent. I like to, I haven't read anything by um, Jackie Kay, so I'd really like to explore her writing now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's terrific. Well, um, speaking of some of those topics, sort of family and home, uh, I've got a real twisted tale for you. Um, And this really looks at this in a, quite a different way. So this is a, a fiction novel um, called The Tally Stick by Carl Nixon, published in last year, so 2020, and it's available in adult fiction and on Overdrive as an ebook. Now, this novel just has floored me, really. The opening had me hooked right away. Here's the first sentence. The car containing the sleeping children left the earth. Now, 
This just wow. set the whole vibe from the start, this quietly terrifying, h- harsh reality meeting otherworldly. I just can't, I can't say enough how grabby this was right from the beginning. Now, this car carries the newly arrived um, English family of six. Now, it's 1978. They've decided to have a holiday on New Zealand's west coast before Dad starts his brand new job in a new country. They've come off the road driving at night in, in terrible conditions. They've gone down a cliff and they land deep in the bush without a trace of, of what's happened. Um, no one really knows where they are in the country, so there's there's very little chance of finding them. We then jump to 2010, and the children's aunt back in the UK, her name's Suzanne, she's being informed that the bones of the eldest son of the family have been discovered, and they show that he at least survived for around four years after the family's disappearance. So this story looks at who survived, for how long, and where are they now? Oh, that's creepy. Yeah, it's just made me, me shiver. (laughs) <laughs> it's super creepy. Yeah, it's really eerie, yeah. this book. So through the book, you're jumping between a couple of timelines. We do learn who survived the crash, and we learn about the strange, sorrowful circumstances of their lives afterwards. In between, we're following Suzanne. She's honouring her lost family members by visiting New Zealand as often as she can over the years after the disappearance. So she's kind of doing an, an informal investigation. She learns how to hike, and she hikes through the, the ranges of the West Coast. The official investigation goes after they please file, fail to find the car or really any clues. This book is Kiwi Gothic at its finest. And it's got this twist because you're experiencing the wilds of New Zealand, both the natural and kind of psychological aspects of New Zealand, mm-hmm. um, through the eyes of these newly arrived foreigners and and often through the eyes of children. Now, we we really find out and we get reminded that, that New Zealand is beautiful and is also dangerous. You know, there's elements of care and healing that can be found in the bush, but also there can be volatility and violence all around us too. Um, you get this really tragic situation, which then turns into kind of a horror situation. Um, there's this Kiwi individualism and pragmatism gone rogue, punishing work ethics, warped adult child power plays. It all kind of falls horribly into place to kind of have a comment on New Zealand's psyche, really. Um, It sounds kind of complex the way I've tried to describe it. I'm trying to do it without giving away too much. (laughs) But this is eerie, suspenseful thriller, immersive. It's nuanced, so you're thinking about notions of safety, saviourhood, victimhood, and there's a little bit of magic chucked in as well. So I just want to tell you that you must read this book. I cannot tell you much more because I don't want to um, spoil what happens. But I will say that this is one of five finalists for Best Novel of um, the Year in the Nio Marsh Crime Awards. Um, and those, of course, celebrate the best of Aotearoa crime, mystery, thriller and suspense. Um, and, yeah, I'll just let you know that the um, the awards are going to be uh, announced on Saturday, 30th of October as part of an online ceremony in the Word Christchurch Festival. So you can find out more about the um, Naya Marsh Crime Awards by going to their website or to their Facebook page as well. Yeah, and um, I'm thinking at this stage, shall we just um, talk about, or there's a list of the other finalists, isn't there? Oh, sure, um, yep. So there's the the Murder Club, I think was That's one of the right. other ones, wasn't Nikki it, by Crutchley. Nikki Crutchley. 
Then we've got Sprigs by Branavan Nganga Lingham, which we have talked about before, I think. Yes. Um, Secrets of Strangers by Charity Norman, who I think is based um, just out in Hamilton, maybe. And Tell Me Lies by J.P. Pomari, who has previously won this award. So, yes, um, it's only one of, so this list is one of four lists um, that are up for awards. So this year as well, the Naomi Marshall Award has um, has nominated um, children's mystery and um, and suspense novels oh. as a first, co- is that a first category. For, yeah, that's wow. a first, which I think is quite cool when you think about crime novels being so popular in New Zealand. Yes, we do have, we have a real love affair with the crime novel, don't we? We do. But, um, what a cool idea, um, yeah. having children's, um, a, a children's category. That's um, right. Because when I was talking to Paul Cleave, our, our celebrated crime writer earlier this year, he was saying that as a kid at school, um, he wanted to be a crime writer, but there was, no sort of training that you you did yep yeah as a as a child or if he 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 actually used to practice writing horror um genre as a child but it wasn't taken that seriously so what so a wonderful interesting, thing isn't it? Yeah. yeah i mean i think you know it's children's crime fiction has come a long way from the hardy boys and you know trixie belden and I yes. don't know, things like that, hasn't it? Or Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown. <laughs> yes, that's lot right. Homegrown um, and interesting takes on it. Um, yes. worth exploring and and far more authentic than they they used to be because they used to be just sort of jolly hockey sticks, really, didn't they? Or um, yes. Or woolly jump, you know, nice chunky woolen jumpers um, <laughs> worn by happy boys, sort of thing. Yes. Oh, that that is great. And um, big shout out to to Rachel King, the director of of the Word Festival team, um, for the way they've had to postpone and and jig and sort of redo the festival program over and over mm. again. Mm. Um, we're so pleased that they're able to, yeah, that they've been able to go ahead now on level two. Yeah. Yes, yeah. And we'll we'll be watching um, and learning from them because um, they're, they're showing us the way, aren't they? So Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. Well, look, um, time's gone so quickly again today. So that's about it from us. So to our listeners, stay safe and well and and socially distant, of course. Um, Until next time, happy reading. Haere rā, kakite anō. 